Welcome back to another episode of Sunday Golds here on this Monday afternoon. Recording it here, Arya Masudi and Brett Nevitt. What a difference a week can make for FSU after beating the Gators convincingly in the midweek. The Knolls swept the Louisville Cardinals, who were a top 10 team, and the Knolls did it really in convincing fashion. Brett, before we uh, talk a, a little bit more about this baseball, I want to wish everybody a uh, uh, hopefully you had a great Easter, a uh, great Easter weekend. And those of you who celebrate Passover, hope that continues to be um, a good holiday for you for the next eight days. But wow, you know, just a week ago, Brett, we were wondering if FSU had a shot at a regional host. Uh, some people were coming at us with, can they make the NCAA tournament? You know, asking us if you and I were too close to the team to be able to unbiasedly cover um, the Florida State baseball program. And we encouraged patience, right? Like we encouraged this is a long season and things can shift really in a matter of days. And it has happened. This week was the best weekend Florida State has played all season long. Yeah, almost like baseball's a 160, 162 game season in, the, in pro ball for a reason. Um, there's up and downs. And I think overall, we just we knew that we liked this team anyways. We liked the roster and we felt like it was going to click again at some point. Um, you know, just never going to get too harsh on this team, especially when they're down. Um, and I think that's what kept them up a little bit and what you know, gave them a little bit of a spark this weekend. Um, I think we talked a lot about um, this team kind of needing a moment, and it felt like over and over again this weekend there were those big moments, and they came from different guys. Uh, it was really good to see it come from a lot of different guys on both sides of the ball. Um, and more so than anything, I thought it was really good to see the guys play with some with some edge to them, some fire. Um, they played loose. They looked like they were having fun. You know, a lot of that has to do with early leads. Um, but, man, I thought they just they just took the weekend and they ran with it and, um, you know, a little bit of trash talk. Um, it was just very enjoyable to beat the ballpark this weekend, not just because they were winning, but just because of the way they were playing. Um, I just thought that that's how you play the game and that's how you, that's how you play winning baseball. Yeah, 8-1 to one on Thursday. Nine to four on Friday, and then ten to nine—a really entertaining game uh, in Game Three on Saturday. Brett, Florida State. You mentioned the moments, and we could break down game by game, but let's just kind of stick for the sake of time and, and to keep this efficient. Let's let's stick to themes. Uh, but the first theme that we have to talk about is Parker Messick. You've said this on record. You think he's the best pitcher in college baseball. I think as the season wears on, he continues to show that. You think like, okay, he can strike out 14 against Samford, or he can do it against James Madison, and it's like, yeah, you know, he's got better stuff than I think that that lineup has that, that can counter him. But then when he does it against some of these elite offenses, you really start to see why Parker's going to pitch at the next level someday. And uh, this guy on, you know, we say Friday nights, obviously this week was Thursday, but in game ones, I think you feel like, you feel like game one's in the bag almost every single time Parker Messick takes the hill. Yeah, and I think the reason that I had been saying that I think he's the best pitcher in college baseball is just because there's no one in the country you would pick to take to to start a game for you that you have to win, other than Parker Messick. Between the what he has on the mound, the competitiveness, the the, the teammate that he is, the leader that he is, and just the energy that he brings into a ballpark, um, not just into a dugout, but that entire ballpark lights up when he does. Um, yeah, I got home on Thursday night and kind of just took a step back and was like, holy hell, I don't even think we realize how good this kid has been since he's been here. Because um, it got to the point on Thursday where it was like, yeah, this kind of feels normal. This is like 
what you expect at this point for Parker Messick, and like especially what I expected after um, the start at Georgia Tech. He just knew that he was going to come in hyper focused, and man, he was just relentless as all get out. I mean, he would not let them beat him. I mean, he had that fifteen pitch AB against Humphrey and just would not give in. Didn't walk anybody. I think that's probably the thing he's happiest about. Sixth time this season and eleventh time in his career, double digit K's. Third time this season, it happened with no walks. Um, country leads the nation with ninety four strikeouts. Uh, if his career ended, if his career ended tomorrow, he'd be first in program history for K for nine in a season, and the best career K to walk ratio that any Seminoles ever had. Um, it's just so much fun to be in the ballpark when Parker's pitching. I don't even care what colors he's wearing. Um, the energy he pitches with, everything he does, it, it's just it's it's truly a joy to watch him pitch every every Friday. Yeah, you're gonna talk about Parker Messick as one of the all-time greats at Florida State. I think, you know, you, you mentioned some of the elite pitchers all time that come to mind that have pitched to FSU. And man, if Parker Parker ain't named amongst them, if uh, you don't have a picture of Parker Messick, you know, in the hallways of Dick Hauser Stadium here in the next year or so, it's starting to hit me, by the way, that, that the Parker Messick era um, might be coming to a close pretty soon at Florida State. And I don't want to live in a world where Parker Messick's not my Friday night starter, but it's winding down, and he's going to be a high draft pick, and he's going to do some great things. I think, you know, Parker's – do you think he's working himself into a first-round draft pick? I just think that if I was an MLB scout and I'm sitting there and i got to take someone who I think is going to be an MLB player one day, there's not many guys that I think are more of a, a sure thing than Parker just with – Everything he's done, the track record. I mean, he's he's thrown well against good teams. He's thrown well against hitters that are going to be in the pros. I mean, he dominated Delauder early in the season. Um, yeah, I know there's not. It's not the best body in the world or the best stuff in the world, but man, you, you're not going to find a kid that competes harder than him. I remember you and I were at that Florida game right before uh, the COVID shutdown, and they brought Parker in a high leverage situation. <laughs> Um, against a, a Florida team that Florida State hadn't really beaten in a long time, and all the pressure in the world was on the program, and they turned the ball over to, what, an 18- or 19-year-old kid at the time, and he goes in there and mows them down, starts pounding his chest a little bit, and he kind of knew, like, that that kid was going to be special someday. And you didn't know how it would project. You didn't know what, what his role would be in Tallahassee, but you knew that Parker Messick was going to make his impact felt, uh, and he was going to be one of the all-time greats, and he's done that. Um, I'm not sure you've had a more dominant pitcher at Florida State this decade um, than what Parker Messick has shown you this season. Yeah, well, I think the thing about that Florida game that we were at was it was just like, this kid's different. You knew it then and there, like, the heart rate slows down in the biggest moments, and he gets better and better the more pressure that he has on him, um, and there's not many like that. And for me, I knew Parker was going to be really, really good. I when After that COVID pause, I went and you know, saw Parker throw a bullpen about two months later after the season came to the end. I think at that point, Parker had already dropped 20 pounds and was working on adding another pitch to to become a starter. Um, you know, he said he wanted to take that Friday spot and run with it. And I think that was in like May of 2020. And um, he's done everything that you could have asked for him. And I'm sure he's got a lot more in store too. Um, you know, still probably five plus, six plus starts left in his career here. Um, so, yeah, like you said, it you know, obviously it's going to come to an end soon, but um, I think you just got to really enjoy it while it's happening right now because it, it's special. I don't think we 
are ever going to fully realize until after the season's over exactly how good he really was. Yeah, I think you're right. And you, you just talk about, like, pitchers that come to mind in the past. Florida State's had uh, some unbelievable ones. When you think of, like, Sean Gilmartin and, and you think of, um, obviously, you know, Tyler Holton's been really good from the left-handed side. And Luke Weaver comes to mind as one of those all-time greats that was dominant. People will name, like, Richie Lewis and, and some of these other guys, too. And, oh, wow. I mean, it, it's, you know, we've spent a lot of time on Parker here uh, I mean, in, in this segment. But, like, you're going to miss him when he's gone. He, he really is on that level. I mean, they just handed out week nine of awards for ACC players. And Parker just won his third ACC Pitcher of the Week and probably should have four. Um, don't really know how he wasn't the ACC Pitcher of the Week for his performance against Notre Dame. But, um yeah, I mean, for him to win 33% of the the weekly awards already, I think that pretty much tells you all you need to know about how dominant he's been this year. I also have to mention Paul Wilson. If I don't do that, then uh, I know some Florida State baseball fans will, will get after me. But, man, uh, Parker Masek's been phenomenal. Six and two-thirds, 14 strikeouts against, I think, Louisville's one of the best 10 lineups in the country. Like, I really believe that that's, that's a, a dynamite lineup and some serious draftable talent uh, in that order for the Cardinals and Parker was phenomenal. They always get the game, get the job done in game one. Um, Jaime Ferrer, again, really good to start things off. But, Brett, the theme of the first two games, again, following the Florida game, the Knowles got big innings early. And that really, I think, allowed the pitching staff uh, to be able to go out there and toss with uh, relatively low pressure. And when you have the talent on the mound that Florida State does, if you give them run support, uh, you can feel pretty good about the game ending in a Knowles victory. Yeah, well, the theme even more so for me was just capitalizing on a mistake. Um, you know, with two ounce, I think they'd already scored one run at that point, and I think Jaime bloops the ball to right. Center fielder, I think, lost it. Right fielder tried to make it like a, I think like a, a, a diving catch on one knee, and it hits off his glove, and you scored two runs there. And it extends the inning, and Alex hits the next pitch about one bajillion feet. Um, I'm sorry, track man, but there's no way that thing stopped at 412 Third straight home feet. run for him, by the way, in as many, yeah. as many games. Four and, four and five, I think, as well. Um, and for me, I really knew Alex was seeing the ball well after that second at bat against Florida. I think we talked about it last week as well, where he laid down. Um, there's our, he, he laid off two, two off-speed pitches below the zone. And for me, it was like, okay, he's starting to click. He's starting to see it. Um, and, man, he gets it. Uh, it's pretty special. Uh, they've all been no doubters this year, except for what the one down, I guess, into the bullpen against against Florida was probably the only one that hasn't been a no doubter. Um, but yeah, it was just so good to see them capitalize on another team's mistake, especially after the last few weeks where they really hadn't gotten any breaks. Um, you finally get a break and you turn it into something big. Um, when you get big innings with this pitching staff, like you said, Aria, I mean, uh, you you have a really good feeling that you're going to win a game and. Overall, I just think that big inning allows the pitcher to also not have to be perfect. Defense doesn't have to be perfect. Just play loose and take chances on both sides of the ball. And um, yeah, I mean, it was just pretty much a, you know, it wasn't a great defensive game, I didn't think, but pretty much a, you couldn't have asked for an easier um, game one win. Yeah. And I think, you know, at the same time, when this offense, it has those big innings. I think it allows for the momentum to build in that dugout too. And guys are playing free. And like you said, you've been we've been using the word loose, but uh, it was good to see FSU after where a couple of weeks it seemed like you just couldn't catch a break. Um, and maybe against Florida, those demons were exercised a little bit, and the monkey's off your back. But we'll see. I mean, it could it be just one weekend? I don't know. I think that's the the beauty of baseball is like just as much as we were pe preaching patience 
um, with the series losses, I think you have to kind of have a, a level head about this weekend too. But um, let's keep going. Uh, Bryce Hubbard, I thought game two uh, wasn't maybe the best Bryce Hubbard we've ever seen in his career, but I think he trends upwards now after a couple of weeks, and I think this was a start he really needed to have. Yeah, Bryce really just battled. Um, I mean, I think he had two hit-by-pitches and two walks that kind of you know held him back from being even better on the day. Um, he just randomly had some really big misses that didn't make a whole bunch of sense, but outside of that, I thought he was pretty good. Um, I still don't think we've seen the best of Bryce for a little while now because he can be so, so good. Um, but, man, for him to not have his stuff really completely and give you 5.2 and only one run against an offense like, like that, um, I think that alone tells you how special of an arm he is. I mean, I think his ERA is still below Parker's this year um, so far. Um, but, yeah, overall, I thought it was a step in the right direction for Bryce, obviously. Um, I think we're just going to see him keep getting better uh, as, as the, the end of the season approaches. Yeah, this game, though, I think was all about trade and rank, and you can't not mention just how amazing he was. Four for four, um, almost had the cycle, needed a home run to get it, and I think, Brett, you really were high on him in all of fall ball. I remember consistently you talking about Trayton's going to be someone that will play at Florida State, whether it's eventually as spots open up or immediately. Trayton started to force this coaching staff's hand, I think, a little bit because he really is uh, a jack-of-all-trades. You can put him in the outfield. He's pretty good in the infield. He runs well. Um, he's got more pop than you think. Uh, and, and I think he really just has a natural feel for hitting. He finds a lot of barrels with his bat. Yeah, so my thing with Trayton um, in preseason and fall was just that every A-B he competed, and it wasn't necessarily about the results. And he always seemed one pitch away from you know, a really productive A-B, uh, but he always put together quality A-Bs, and I just like that. I like that ability to fight at the plate, and um, he's just got really good instincts, too. I mean, he's he played football in high school for three years, was a state title winner, um, played all nine positions in high school. Uh, when you play all nine positions and you also play football, I mean, your competitiveness is going to be as high as anyone's, and you're going to know how to do a lot of different things, and um, for him to be able to just be thrown out in left field and you know, play quality defense out there as well. It's just impressive as him going four for four at the plate with four ribbies. Um, again, in the first inning, I thought they took care of a mistake again. Um, I think Louisville's shortstop made an error, I believe, on a slow roller. That maybe could have been an out, and you don't get as much that inning. Um, and once again, you just get a ball to drop that hadn't been dropping in a long time. You know, Trayton's ball drops just fair out and right and ends up going for a three-run triple. Um, and the reaction he had... I thought lit that dug that dug on up and it lit up um, Hauser. Um, it was a really fun environment. I thought on Friday night, um, but yeah, yeah, definitely story of the game is Trayton. I think it's another example of it was it was kind of a different guy every game. It felt like all week you got four wins and it felt like you had a, play, a different player of the game every day. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, like you said, big inning again early, five runs in that first. I think set the tone and it probably crept some doubt into Louisville's minds on, okay, this is going to be an uphill battle this weekend in Tallahassee. and um, Got to give Bryce credit. He battled. He got the job done. I really like what Davis Hare has been giving you this season. Uh, Connor Whitaker, I think, is starting to pitch with a level of confidence that kind of surpasses even normal freshmen. Um, that, that could be a kid that's tre trending upwards, and, and we'll talk about who starts uh, on Wednesday against Georgia Southern and, and who, what are some names that, that we'll find there. But... Um, Alex Terrell, I want to mention, hit the daylights out of a baseball to left center. 
Um, it cleared the shed, I think, out in the left center. And when Alex is going good and we're starting to see a couple home runs to the opposite field, you know that he's seeing the ball well and he's figuring some things out. And you were relying on Alex Terrell to be able to give you something this season, and he has. Yeah, so that that was actually the third straight game. He had homered in, now that I think about it. But um, point stands, and, and like you said, that opposite field swing shows me the most more than anything that the timing is down right where they want it. Um, that's Alex's best swing of, the, swing of the season so far. I know he's hit some balls farther, but that's the exact picture-perfect swing that they've wanted since he's been here. Um, because they know if he's hitting the fastball that way and, and crushing it that way, which he can, I mean, he can hit the ball out anywhere, anywhere he wants with his power. Uh, but that's going to be able to open up his, his, his ability to hit off-speed out of the yard too because he'll be on time with those off-speed pitches to the pull side. Um, so, yeah, and I think Alex has really fit in well at that three spot. He's worked good ABs. You know, he's still striking out a little bit, but um, to have that impact presence in, in the middle of your order right there, um, I think it makes a big difference. So Florida State wins game two, nine to four. And then uh, Saturday's game, game three, Brett, um, Louisville jumped out early on top. Ross Dunn, uh, again, a couple straight weeks now where he just doesn't look like the Ross Dunn that we saw earlier in the year. Uh, Brett, I'll let you kind of go in on this one a little bit more with what's going on with Ross Dunn right now. And uh, Meet made an announcement after the game about a, a new Sunday starter. Yeah, so Meet said that we probably wouldn't see Ross again for a little while. Um, I think that's a good idea. I think they've got to really go into the bullpen and kind of revamp everything that's happening with him. Um, I don't know if it's fatigue or mechanics or if he's got some sort of injury going on that that's minor or something. Um, but but this was the second time in the last three stars that his velo has been way down. Um, every single pitch um, – change up fastball curveball I think they were all down three to four miles per hour especially the fastball and change up um, I mean hit Napchik with his first pitch of the game um, they had two pretty hard hit balls I think he was out after the fourth batter um, obviously you can't get that on Sunday um, at the same time you need Ross for this team to get where they're going where they want to go um, and Meat said that after the game he said that you know Belly told him mid-game like we're gonna need you to go to Omaha um you know, Ross can still be a really big piece to this team. I mean, preseason, he 100% was the best pitcher on this staff. Um, and we saw it earlier this year when he's on, he can dominate any lineup. I mean, you think back to what he, gonna, what he did against Wake Forest. Um, he really hasn't been the same since, you know, the start after that against NC State. I think it's been three straight starts now or maybe four that he's looked rough. Um, I think it was two starts ago or three starts ago that it was the first time his velo dipped. Um, they did fix it with a mechanical fix. So I'm wondering if it's that same thing again this time. Um, but sitting him down for a week or two um, and just getting him right back mentally and, and physically, uh, I think it's going to help him. And I think it's going to help this team. I think if you get Ross in that bullpen and he can be a dominant arm back there too. Yeah, they took him out after 15 pitches, Brett. And um, that was I mean, tough. I mean, they, they had the bullpen active after, I think, three pitches. So I think that tells you where they were at with him. Yeah, and seeing Belly, Belly's walked out there early in numerous starts now for him. So, I mean, that's never a good sign when your pitching coach has to continuously come out and, and chat about uh, numerous number that's, of things. But, and I would think that's probably, too, just because of the velo. And I'm sure Belly looks out there just like I do, and it's like there's got to be something going on here. 
But listen, like Ross Dunn is supremely talented. I mean, he's going to factor into Florida State's rotation again at some point in his career. Um, I don't know. I mean, could it be this year? We'll see. Uh, Carson Montgomery getting announced as your new Sunday starter going forward. I know a lot of fans were wondering if that's a guy that could move his way into the weekend rotation. The answer is now yes. And um, I do look forward to seeing Ross getting right because I do think in the back end of the bullpen, you could use Ross for two to three innings. Uh, I think he's got more than enough in the tank. Um, It'll be fun to watch him maybe go back out there and start hurling some 97s and uh, really being a, a matchup nightmare for some guys. Um, the idea and the potential of him, Crowell, Hare, those three in the back end of your bullpen excites me for, for this team as we get closer to the postseason. Well, that was what I was going to say is you're kind of setting yourself up to have like four relief, back end relievers that are power guys and can also go and get you some innings. I mean, you could you could potentially think and go – all right, we have four games. Our starters give us six innings in each. You could really go three innings each in that week with three innings from Baumeister, three innings from Hare, three innings from Dunn, and three innings from Quell. And those are three power arms that you probably are feeling really comfortable with, um, you know, if Ross can get right. Um, so like you said, the potential of that, you know, this may be a thing that at the end of the day may be what's best for this roster. I mean, we'll end up see, we'll see how Ross responds to it, but... You know, if it works out, I think it could be something that actually is a positive for them rather than a negative. And let's kind of work backwards in this game, if we can. Florida State winning at 10-9, to of course. Uh, Carson Montgomery comes in. Man, that was electricity, wasn't it? That was – I wanted to run through a wall when Carson Montgomery came in and struck out the number three and four hitters, who are both going to be extremely high draft picks. The first one, I think, was against Masterman, 96, right by him. <laughs> And then the cutter to freeze rushing to finish the game off. Runners were on first and second with one out. Uh, Meat, I think, wanted to get Carson some work on a game three, and it had been a while since Carson had pitched. But, dude, Brett, he looked insane. That, that was Carson Montgomery that I think a lot of people dreamed about being a, a potential closer for this team. But I think I'm just as excited about him moving into Sundays too. Yeah, and I mean – like you said, I mean, it was hard not to be a little fired up from that ending. I mean, I think I tweeted it. It, it was just all I, all, I mean, all I could even think in the moment was Carson bleeping Montgomery. I was like, holy hell, he just did that. Um, you know, I think that I think they were they were trying to stay away from using Carson just because they they didn't want to risk it too much with the five run lead. And, you know, I was hoping they would bring him into the eighth and just let him go eight, nine with clean innings. Um, obviously they don't do that and you end up in a really rough situation there at the end of the game but he's able to come in and just to see him do that and show composure um, again that's just another step in the right direction for Carson and the maturation process he's gone through um, that was really fun it was fun to come in see him just let it loose for a couple of batters um, I mean their guys had no chance they had no chance but yeah, I'm also looking forward to seeing Carson Sunday. Um, and more than anything, I'm just, just happy he's healthy and happy that it was nothing serious th- with the shoulder because um, that would have been really tough for this team. But, um, yeah, it's just I'm at the point where wherever Carson's at, I feel like you got to trust him, especially more so than, than last year. And, um, yeah, I just think he's starting to show that competitiveness that, that some of these other guys are. I feel like it's rubbing off on him now, and it's really good to see. 
I think he let out a little chest bump and a, a scream into the sky uh, after he struck out rushing. And it was, uh, it's been good to see him play with that level of energy and, and as, as Brett said, competitiveness. But uh, I think it'll be his first start uh, since the Pitt series last year. Am I right? First weekend start? Yeah, that's yes. what I meant. First weekend start because it was the Pitt series where they changed some things up last year. So Carson moves back into the weekends, and, and we'll see how it goes. Carson, I mean, he struck out 14, is that right? 13 against Stetson? Yes, I believe so. Something like that. So he's trending upwards. Um, you got to ride the hot hand right now, and I think Carson um, will give you a, a really good option and opportunity on Sundays uh, going forward. Speaking of Sundays, Brett, how big was it for Florida State to win a game three? We've been talking about this team can win two in a weekend. Can they do it three straight times? And the answer on this weekend was yes. Yeah, and I mean, I even think Trayton Rank said it on Friday in his post game, and was like, he was asked like how they were going to go and finish off the series, and he was like, well, it's not a Sunday, so that's a good thing. Um, that was pretty funny, but I mean, this was another wild one. I mean, I think this game was like four and a half hours or something, or four hours and two minutes. Um, I mean. Right when they jumped up in the third, the first inning, you're thinking, oh, here we go again. Uh, but this team responded quick. Um, they came up with big hit after big hit in this game, man. It just – every time there was a big situation, they just came through. And after a couple of weeks of the complete opposite, uh, it was just – it was so good to see them do it. I mean, you got it from multiple guys. I mean, obviously Jordan most more so than anyone, but – yeah, I think this just gets them over the hump a little bit mentally on those last games of the weekend. Um, and hopefully, man, we stop getting those late eggs. And you just got to compete. It's not ever going to be pretty on a Sunday. Um, you know, 10-9 wins, not the prettiest in the world, but a win's a win, especially on, a, on, a, on the last game of the weekend. And bats are always important uh, on game threes on Sundays. And uh, 10 hits for Florida State in this one. Jordan Carrion, uh, what a game for him. He had seven hits, by the way, this week when you combine it with the Florida game, six on the weekend. You've been saying for a while, carry-on's going to be someone this team needs to play at a high level. Um, defensively, he always does that. But with the bat, if he can start spraying the ball to left center, to the opposite field, then he finally got into one this weekend and, and got it up and out over the wall. Barely. It nicked the very top of the wall before it left the park. But what a moment that was for Florida State to retake the lead there. Was that during O'Canada in the fifth? I believe it was. I believe it was. I believe FSU then jumped up seven to five because of it. But um, if that kid's giving you something at the plate, that energy to, that he brings to Brett, I think he blew a kiss to the uh, second baseman as he rounded the bag. Um, but that's infectious. And I think, you know, Jordan Carrion might be someone that the team looks for to be an emotional leader as we wind down towards the postseason. Yeah. So I think I've been saying since Jordan came back from his little injury early in the season that. Jordan's going to be this team's energizer bunny. Um, he's going to be the one that keeps them going when it's when they're down. He's going to be the one that really gets them going when they're up. Um, and, you know, I've always thought Jordan could be somewhere from a 250 to 275 hitter. Um, and, man, he's starting to show me even more than that. I know it was only one week, but when he's spraying line drives all over the yard, um, he can be a really, really good hitter and impact the games in a lot of ways. Um, he was awesome defensively again this weekend. Um, four for four at the play, career high four hits, then career high three RBIs, first home run as a Seminole, couldn't have come at a better time. Um, and man, I loved the way he rounded the bases. Uh, second baseman was in the shift there, and 
I believe the second baseman was the one that slid into him on second. That was called interference when he clipped Jordan's leg, and he's a little bit out of the base pass. And Beard had also stared down Wyatt for some reason after Wyatt struck him out, and I didn't know what he was doing then. Um, and Jordan even said after the game, "Yeah, I blew him a kiss." Like that to me, I I want that. I need that energy on this baseball team. I don't think it's, I don't think we've had someone like that in a couple of years. Um, someone that, you know, enjoys that, and he really wants to do that. He wants the trash talk. It, it, it brings the best down of him. He said he was playing with his his hair on fire, and he looked like he did. He looked like a psychopath. Um, I'm pretty sure he blacked out rounding the bases. Um, I think he was actually losing his mind when he went into the dugout, it looked like. But um, that, it was just really fun to watch. It's it's fun to watch guys play with passion like that, and you, you just got to appreciate it, I think. And three more hits, by the way, too, for Tyler Martin. Uh, first game that we've seen him look like the Tyler Martin of old, hit the plate, had a big RBI single there. I know Rain was uh, threatening uh, for most of the day, and, and we didn't know if we would get the full game in. And um, but he had that big RBI single to tie the game. I know Vincent got thrown out at the plate, but it seemed like Florida State was trying to go for the extra run, knowing that a game could be called after five innings. And um, weirdly, the skies opened up, and <laughs> it ended up being a clear day uh, by the rest of the weekend and then for the rest of Saturday, which was really strange. But um, Tyler Martin, huge, huge opportunity for him, I think, now working back from his injury. And he adds a lot for FSU at the top of the order. Yeah, I thought they were. I thought him and B Rob were two guys that really swung well on the last game of the weekend. And I think all weekend we saw Tyler's timing come back a little bit by a little bit. Um, and I believe it was this game that he hit one off the screen as well for for a double. I'm not. It might have been the second game, but I'm pretty sure it was this game. Um, but yeah, he just he was on time with everything on on Saturday and. That's really good to see, and he worked a walk as well, and he's spraying balls all over the place like you expect from him. Um, B-Rob, I thought, had hard-hit balls in all of his at-bats. I mean, hit one so hard that the third baseman couldn't even get his glove down in time to, to put a glove on it. It goes for you know, an E5, maybe a, a double, too. But that was a really hard-hit ball. First play, ground down at the second. I thought he got good metal on it, too. And, man, that double that he had off the top of the fence was – Probably his best swing of the season. Um, most parks that goes down, I think it hit the very top of the Hauser fence, and I think it was still rising at that point. Um, it was for a double, but that was that's a picture-perfect swing. That's exactly what B-Rob's doing um, when, he, when the timing's perfectly down. Um, also, shout-out Colton Vincent for that bases clearing uh, or two-run double in the seventh. FC probably doesn't win that game if that doesn't happen there. Um but, yeah, I mean, Colton, look, he's not going to give you um, huge offensive nights every game, but he's going to make things happen when he needs to. He puts the ball in plays when he needs to, and um, good things happen for him because he, he, he grinds on every at-bat. Um, so it was really good to see him come through there uh, in a big moment. Yeah, great lineups. Brett usually have the nine-hole hitter at least contributing in big moments, right? Like it doesn't always have to be the guy that's hitting 300, but if your nine-hole hitter finds the big hit, uh, that usually makes a difference for a lineup because then it's like, well, who do you pitch to? Um, everybody can beat you a little bit. So uh, big there. Uh, can we shout out real quick uh, Jackson Green uh, for the big home run? He's quickly becoming one of my favorite players on this team. Just blue collar, defensively made a great play at third to, to rob a base hit, extra base hit, um, and then the big home run. He's showing a, a bit of a power surge here in his final year in Tallahassee. Yeah, and that play at third base might have been the biggest play of the weekend, to be honest. 
Um, I mean, that ball was like already past him. It felt like when he backhand snagged it, um, really hard hit. I think it was nap chick and, and that kid's annoying at the plate. I feel like he gets on base every time, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, that was Jackson's first ever game at third base too, at least at Florida state. Not sure if he ever played there Juco, but I don't believe he did. Um, now he's also played first base this year. He's also subbed in at short one game. He's played all four positions for you on the infield. Um, this kid wasn't even here in fall practicing or anything like that. Uh, he's only been here since January. Um, obviously he was back here last year, but, and the year before that, but to not have a fall and to come in and just, you know, he's, he's fulfilled his role every time he's been called on and you can't ask for much more than that. Um, you're not the talented, most talented guy in the world, but just does things the right way. I feel like, and, um, you know, he just, he does whatever you ask him to, he plays wherever you want him to. And, um, makes good defensive plays wherever you need them. So, yeah, I think Meat said it um, a couple times this year that he kind of just is, is the ultimate seminal and he's willing to do anything they need him to. If, if that's right in the bench, he's more than happy to and, and just be a team leader. So it's been fun to watch him have some moments this year after two rough first seasons. Um, do you think this team can, can keep this thing going? Yeah, I mean – this team, if, if they get leads early, if they get one big inning, you really only need to score five to six runs with this pitching staff to win games. Uh, like I've said multiple times, I think things even themselves out. That's how baseball works. Uh, offense isn't going to score this many runs every weekend. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know you have a really good pitching staff. And you f- I feel like these hitters are really starting to just fight at the plate. And if you're getting fight at the plate, um, you know I think you're putting yourself – in good situations to have a lineup that's at least deep. It may not have that one guy that goes off for you every game, like a Matt Nelson, but you feel like right now you're getting nine competitive at bats. Um, and still, man, you're, you're, you're a Logan Lacey being Logan Lacey away from being a, a good lineup. I think you're a decent lineup right now. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I don't think we'll ever see that team from a couple weeks ago again. That's just not who this team is, I don't think. Um, they're a good baseball team. I've thought that since the start of the year, and I think they showed a bit bit of that this weekend. And I just hope they keep playing with that 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 passion they kind of played with this weekend and that that loose feeling of just, you know, whatever happens, happens, it kind of felt like. Yeah, and it's funny how baseball, we, we've talked about it always, one game can trigger a run. And it's true in the college game. It's true in the pro game. It's true in Little League. Like, one game – legitimately has everybody feeling good about themselves again. I still think this whole week started with Reese's 11 pitch at bat to begin that Florida game. And he gives like that stare to the dugout and it's like, it's time to go. Like it's time to play good baseball. It's that time of year. Like let's play. I think they know how good they can be. And it's just like, all right, let's go. Let's not. It It feels like they're competing every at bat. And that's not something that we could have said couple weeks ago and I think carry on even mentioned it himself he's like we've got to be competitive every single pitch and look if we get beat we get beat but we it can't be because we weren't competing at the best of our abilities and I think this team is starting to realize that too well I think it's been a combination of competing and simplifying and I think we were asking for them to just simplify stuff after that Notre Dame series and they've kind of mentioned multiple times where it's been like we were in paralysis by analysis like we're just going out there and hitting now like, there's really not that much more to it. We're just going to go and hit, and we're going to fight. And 
If you get beat, you get beat. You tap, you tip your cap. It's baseball. You're probably going to fail seven out of ten times. But man, if you compete, things are going to go your way at some point. Is James, is James Tibbs okay? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a, a long term thing for James. Not from what they've said so far. Yeah, I really like his bat in the lineup. Uh, he's a really good player. So hopefully he uh, he speed you know he recovers quickly and it's not something that keeps him out very long. The good thing though is you have guys that can take his place for now. And that was not something you had at all last year. Real, I mean, we're in a spot now where it feels like there's almost too many guys. Like we talked about that earlier, you know, off the podcast. But like that's a good thing, especially after last year, where it felt like you had nowhere to go when guys were in slumps to 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 get a spark. Um, and this year, you just feel like you have a lot of guys that are on your bench that you could turn to at some point. I mean. We didn't even really see a, a shaver or an uh, IP this weekend. I mean, there's other guys on that bench, too, that, that can make things happen outside of Jackson Green and Trayton Rank. Yeah. Shall we talk about Georgia Southern right here, or do we want to talk about some more, uh, maybe some more postseason picture in terms of where this team's at right now regional for regional spots and RPI and things like that? Let's go. I'll give you the pick. Let's go for that stuff first. We'll go Georgia Southern to end it. Okay. So right now, Florida State's RPI, it took a major boost of about 15 spots this past week. That's what happens when you go 4-0 against quality competition. RPI now at 19 with a strength of schedule of 4. So the Knolls went from really needing um, a big run to be back in the regional hosting conversation to being right back in the thick of it. I think right now, Brett and I have been trying to discuss before we hit the record button, would Florida State be a regional host if the season ended today? And I think Brett feels pretty good about it. Um, I think, you know, you might need a little bit more work to be done, but certainly ACC teams with top 20 RPIs, top five strength of schedules. You look at quality wins, by the way. The Knowles have nine of them right now, and, and that's a really good number going forward. Um, and the Knowles have a good ACC record at 10 and 8, which the conference right now is jumbled up everywhere. I think Miami's like 14 and 4, and then everybody else is 10 and 8, 9 and 7, or somewhere in between there. So this conference is proving to be one of the best in the country right now, if not the best. And this FSU team is uh, racking up some quality wins against uh, some really good competition. Well, this team still has everything in front of them that they that they could have wanted at the start of the season. I mean. They can still very easily win the Atlantic. They can still be a regional host. They can still be a super regional host. Uh, I know that's shocking after a lot of people thought the season was over um, last week. But, yeah, I mean, this team, I still think they're in a good position. Definitely for a regional host. Um, you know, obviously have to do work for to be a super regional host. But, I mean, I, I know a lot of people are saying that the tougher part of the schedule is upcoming, but I just don't think that. I feel like we've already gone through that. I know Miami is a really tough series left, but I mean, the road trips you have left are to Clemson and Boston College, who are probably the two worst teams in the ACC. UNC too, I and think, to end the year. UNC is a team trending downwards. Yeah, so it's yeah. like we'll I don't see. think I think that you could go and take care of business, and you know you're going to have TCU and and Miami, which are your two hardest series left, and those are both at home. Um, those will be some big ones. So I just feel like I just feel good about how the schedule's setting up, and you know they're going to have opportunities to take advantage of, and they're going to have opportunities that can also boost their RPI even more. Yeah, I think someone asked me, you know, they texted me, "Do you think we can still be a top eight? And I think you know some work would need to be done, but you get to thirty-five wins in the regular season, seventeen ACC wins. RPI starts to get about that 
10 to 12 range with the strength of schedule that'll probably be in the top five, I think you're in the conversation. My other thing, though, is, like, outside of Tennessee, there's 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 no other team in the country that's, like, you're, like, that's top eight seed for sure. Right. Like, I think Miami still... right now in the ACC has the best the best shot as of, as of today, right? Like, yeah. if we're ending it today, but Miami's... I mean, f- I mean even and Miami... And you get to play that. And you get to play yeah. that. And Miami's yeah. coming off a series loss. I mean... There's not, there's no surefire eight teams yet. Like nowhere close. I mean, outside of Miami, I, yeah. I, I mean, outside of Tennessee, who they went two and two this week as well. Um, so yeah, I just think there's so much still left in front of you. There's opportunities all across the board in conference and, and national picture. Is this the best college baseball's been in a while? It's the craziest. I think there's just more parity. I think I mean, rosters are better everywhere. These experts have no idea how to put together top 25s. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's really any method to their madness. I think they just kind of play roulette. Um, I think they and, and by the way, I, I think they kind of just play favorites. You think players. so? Yeah. I, I think it just doesn't matter. I mean, I look at the RPI. Those of you who want a good website, warrennolan.com, W-A-R-R-E-N-N-O-L-A-N.com. They've got great RPI metrics. It's live. It updates within like half an hour of a game ending and you can find everything you need there. So that's what I use. Uh, and that's the only ranking I think that really matters because that's what the committee uses. They don't care about D1 baseball or baseball America or collegiate baseball, or I don't know how we're number nine in one poll and unranked in another. That goes okay. to show you right now that there are far too many college baseball polls. There's like seven different polls. It's like, there's no way you're watching college baseball i know people respect d1 baseball the most but um i do i really think they do a great job over there covering the sport i just think there's also far too many games far too many teams and not enough people covering that sport to be able to give you an an adequate national opinion so i wouldn't pay much attention to it look i don't care about the rankings at all i don't i don't think they mean anything but i don't like things that don't make any sense and Florida State not being ranked by D1 Baseball makes no sense. It makes no sense. I, I mean, agree. any other team does what Florida State did this week, they'd be ranked. Yeah, I would like to also ask D1 Baseball how Parker Messick's not a top five starting pitcher in the country. Um, I mean, I want to ask D1 Baseball how three weeks ago they thought Florida State was the fifth best team in the country. And they went six and six, and now they don't think they're a top twenty-five team. What 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 are your top twenty-five teams? Is it the top twenty-five teams this past week? Is it the top twenty-five resumes? Is it top twenty-five chance to win the World Series? Like, I mean, Stanford took two or three from number twelve UCLA. FSU swept number nine Louisville. Yeah, Stanford moved up fifteen spots to number seven. All right, does that make sense? No. Uh, Kendall Rogers' reasoning for FSU not being in the top 25 was that before this weekend, they had lost five of seven and lost a head-to-head series versus Georgia Tech. Well, one, it was at Georgia Tech. Um, And let's see. Who else from the ACC has has done the same exact thing? UVA has lost five of their last six ACC games. They are number 11. Um, When FSU dropped five of six ACC games, they dropped 20-plus spots out of the rankings. So why does two-week spans only apply to certain teams and not others? LSU just got swept by Arkansas for the third series loss in five SEC series. They're still ranked. Um, FSU got swept by Notre Dame. They fell 15 spots. Notre Dame got swept by Duke, who's the worst team. They fell eight spots. 
Louisville lot got swept by Florida State, and they only fell seven spots. Yeah, it don't make sense. So You're what right. are we doing? Yeah. Again, that's why I just don't think you should be that passionate about it. Um, it just doesn't matter. But, it, 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 just, it doesn't follow any rhyme or reason. But ACC, really good. I think you could argue it's the best conference in the sport this season. I think the SEC has, you know, some really top-heavy teams. I think Tennessee, and then after them, who's great in the SEC? I mean, Arkansas is pretty good. I think Georgia's pretty good. What, but do you have any more teams that you feel – am I missing but one? But even Georgia, I'm like – I don't know. I don't know. I don't. When you look when I look at when I watch Georgia, I'm not like blown away. I mean, the other teams that are highly ranked in the RPI and SC are Vanderbilt, who's seven and eight in conference play, and Florida, who's six and nine in conference play. I mean, Arkansas is twenty in RPI, and they're probably the second best SEC team. Mm-hmm. The, the, my thing with the ACC is I feel like it is a supreme, supreme hitting league this 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 year. A lot of good. I mean, lineups. it feels like every team we've played has had. A good I mean, lineup. Yeah. Outside of Duke, I mean, I feel like I mean Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, NC State, Wake Forest, Louisville. Those are all really good lineups. Probably all top twenty in the entire Miami. Country. Miami's lineups played better than I think people expected. Virginia Tech and Virginia both have fantastic lineups. I know Florida State won't face them this year. Pitt's been really good. How about Pittsburgh? How about Mike Bell's team, who by the way got snubbed, not making the NCAA tournament last season. That that was trash. Uh, I think they're playing with a vengeance right now. They're on like their revenge tour. Um, if, if you want to know how much of a hidden conference uh, ACC is this year, I mean, when you look at conference only stats, Florida State has a four point seven one ERA. That's the top in the conference. Yeah. So there are a lot of high scoring games in the league this year. I mean, Miami's third, and they have a five one six ERA in conference play. I mean, there's like six teams in the ACC that are hitting over three hundred as a team. I think, but that that's true too for a lot of different conferences right now. Just the offenses are really good, and I think well, you some get, of that has to do too, though, Brett, with the amount of COVID yeah. seniors that are you know stuck around. They're older, twenty-three year olds that are that would normally be either in minor league baseball or they would be on a different phase of their life. Um, just really good older college hitters that stayed back, and I think you know, but you're having a lot of like Jackson Green type seasons all around, where it's like Jackson hitting two eighty. Six home runs. It bol- it bolsters that lineup, if that makes sense. And a lot of grad transfers all over the place, um, getting new opportunities. So I don't know. I think this is an interesting year for college baseball where you've got a lot of older veteran players sprinkled throughout every conference. My thing is just, like, you watch ACC games, and, like, the stats that come up on guys' lines are, like, insane, where, like, for a lot of guys, you don't see that as much when you watch SEC play, and they've probably got better pitchers too, but... They they also aren't as deep in the conference play as ACC is. But, yeah, I just think this is a super deep league with a lot of parity, and I don't think anyone really knows what's going to be the final result in a couple weeks, five weeks or so. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, you look at the SEC, too, and it's like, I don't know, Auburn and Alabama are a little bit better than people thought they would be this season. I think Texas A&M is starting to play okay. Mizzou doesn't suck, you know, for the first time in a while. Give them some credit. Well, I'm just saying, like, it's it's just different. I mean, I think there's been a shakeup in the SEC as well. I think people thought Ole Miss was going to be really good, and they can't pitch. So, like, Mississippi State can't really pitch. Um, LSU doesn't look like they have any cohesiveness as as a group. And uh, South Carolina's been, I don't know what the heck's going on with the game. LSU has no idea how to field. Dude, South Carolina's beaten, like, Vandy and Texas. And like loses to everyone. It's just such a weird season, and 
people who are in our mentions, like, is FSU bad? Is this happen? I'm like, I don't know. Let's let's wait till May, and we'll probably have a clearer picture of what everyone is because what happened this weekend? Pitt beat Virginia twice. Who else got swept? Texas Tech got swept at TCU. By the way, that's going to be a marquee series in a couple weeks. Um, what else happened nationally this weekend? There were some big ones. Vandy beat Florida twice. I mean, Notre Dame got Notre swept Notre Dame by got Duke. swept by Duke. Um, Miami goes down twice at uh, Virginia Tech. It's weird, man. This is this is as strange of a college baseball season as we can remember, and I guess we'll just find out in a month where this team is. But, yes, regional, you're right there to host one. I think you got to finish strong. Um, to host a national seat, to get a national seat and host Supers, I think you probably need to, like I said, you need to win like 35 games in the in the regular season. That's doable. And then you go to the ACC tournament, Brett, and you win two, right? You get to the semifinals of the ACC tournament, and I think you're, you're probably a national seat. At least historically, that has been a good mark for, for any team wanting a top eight. Um, Georgia Southern, what do you think? I think they're Let's a talk about good it. baseball team. I think they're a really good baseball team. Uh, every few years, folks, there are some of these mid-majors that become the darlings, and they, they show up late in the season. We've seen it. Like Sometimes a West Coast team gets hot, or uh, Gonzaga's been pretty good this year, or uh, Missouri State in the past, a Kennesaw State. Stetson had that one year, remember, where they were really good with Logan Gilbert on the mound. This year, there's a handful of teams. I know Texas State and uh, Georgia Southern, Mercer. There are some teams right now that have raised some eyebrows, and this Georgia Southern team, folks, is number eight in the RPI. So you have a very unique opportunity on Wednesday night where this would normally just be a a decent opponent you're playing that could maybe sneak in as a three-seed or a four-seed in a regional. Georgia Southern, I think, has a chance to host a regional. And I'm not saying they're a favorite to host. I'm not saying they're going to host. I'm saying at this point in the season, the fact that you're playing a team of that caliber on a Wednesday night in Tallahassee provides an opportunity for this baseball team to, I think, really record one of, a, one of the quality midweek wins of the season. I'm trying to figure out how they're 13 games over 500 when they've only outscored opponents by 17 runs. Well, their offense isn't great. They're pitching better for a mid-major than most mid-majors, mi- most mid-majors pitch at. They're still got a 505 ERA um, and a 268 average. I mean, they're really good at fielding. Um, Ty Fisher has been really good for them um, on weekends. Yeah, Jalen Payton, Padden has been good. So I think it's like they've got some some starters on a Friday Saturday that really have you know they're able to like knock off a lot of those teams in their conference. Uh, they beat Texas State twice earlier this season. They've got wins over Georgia. They got a win over Georgia Tech. They beat the Mercer team that beat Florida State. Tennessee did take them to the woodshed on opening weekend three times. Um, okay. I do think Georgia Southern is a very good baseball team and definitely not someone you can overlook. But now that I'm looking like deep into their resume, I don't know if they should be ranked. I mean, they, they lost their series against UCF. They lost their series against Louisiana. Um, they have that series win over Texas State that's really the big pusher. Um, but, yeah, it's it's not – when you see a mid-major that, that's ranked, you expect them to have, like, a 300 average and, like, crazy numbers. But – you know, they just have some guys that are putting together good years. Uh, Noah Cersei's hitting 333. Jared Brown's hitting 319. Jason Swan, 318. And Jace, Jesse Sherrill, 314. Um, Austin Thompson's their leading home run hitter with seven. He's hitting 236. Um, 
pitching wise, like you said, Ty Fisher looks like the Friday guy has been throwing well. Um, Jay Thompson is their closer. He has five saves and a four or five ERA in 40 innings. Um, so it's probably a guy you're going to see if it's a close game for sure. Um, on Wednesday. Yeah, it looks like, uh, and I'm, they haven't announced anybody who's starting, but Anthony DeMola and Danny Madden have been the guys they've gone with, with on the midweeks. And those are the guys who threw against Georgia Tech and against Georgia. So th- that's what I was looking for when I did my research. Um, Brett, they have an RPI of eight with a SOS of 14 for a mid-major. That's, that's probably why, you know, people are so high on them. Um, and they've raised some eyebrows. They could totally win the Sun Belt this season. And that could be a team that... You know, Georgia Southern might find themselves in the Tallahassee Regional if FSU's hosting. Georgia Southern could be in Athens, um, but that's a dangerous... They remind me of, like, those FAU teams, you know, like or, like, the UCF teams of the past that win a bunch of games and they could challenge you in a, in a regional, but I don't think I really worry about what Georgia Southern's season prognosis is. I just know that's an RPI of eight, and this is a much bigger opportunity than playing, like, JU or playing like Stetson or FGCU in the midweek. This is an important game. I would put it on the same level as Mercer uh, for Florida State this season. Um, so it would be nice to knock off one of those uh, mid-major Georgia teams, huh? Yeah, and this is just like another example to me. Like, how does RPI really work? Where it's like... Well, I think it's still taking shape. It's like... Eight, it's too much, too many games left, man. 18 of their games have been quad three or quad four. They've had 11 quad one games. That's a lot for a mid-major. Yeah, they, they, they lost two or three to um, UGA between midweek games. Um, I think the big thing that's helping them right now is they played three games against Tennessee to open the season. Um, and I think Georgia's also number three in RPI. So right there alone, and including one game against GT, uh, they've played five five games. No, sorry, seven games against uh, top ten RPI teams. Well, the Sun Belt also this year, Brett, is – a much better conference than in years past. Like Coastal Carolina's decent, Georgia State's decent, South Alabama's decent, um, Texas State we mentioned. Um, so I think they're they're the beneficiary. Even Louisiana, by the way, the Ragin' Cajuns, RPI of 52. So like they they are the beneficiary right now of playing in a much better mid-major conference than I think people thought. I think Wofford is in their conference, if I'm right. Am I Am I off on that? I might be off on that. I have no idea. I have no idea either, actually. So I want to stop talking about the Sun Belt. Like Texas State, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, Troy, South Alabama. Right. Um, Coastal Carolina, those teams are in there. Right. Um, no, Wofford is not. No. Wofford's in oh, Mercer's? Is that right? I don't know. We're R- not mid-major experts. No, we're not. We're going to stop talking about it. There are eight in the RPI. It's a big opportunity for Florida State. Um, and I do think it's a team that has certainly proven that they can beat some heavyweights um, on the midweeks. So Knowles are going to have to be ready. Who starts on Wednesday? I know that's a question some people have had. Yeah. Um, I like Connor Whitaker. I don't know who, who your choice is. Maybe Jonas Galaro goes back out there. Yeah, my best guess would be that it's, it's Whitaker. Um, I could also see it being Jonah thrown out for three innings or so again. Um, you know, it, it's weird because I, don't, I think whoever it is won't go a full start because mm-hmm. you do turn around and play at Clemson two days later since you play on Wednesday. Um, you know, I think if they had to pick one guy to be the midweek starter the rest of the year, it'd probably be Whitaker. Um, but at the same time, Whitaker's giving you some valuable innings as your bridge guy out of the pen. Um, so to be honest, I don't think they're going to go with one guy 
the rest of the season who who starts, you know, throws five or six innings. I think it will be a week by week thing and um you know the importance will be put on the weekends as it should be. That's smart. Maybe Baumeister gets a an inning or two. Yeah, I also just think they really like using Baum out of the pen and seeing what he can give them this year. But long term, Jackson is hundred percent a starter for this team, I think. But um I don't know if that will be this year, especially because he had some he had some I think he had some shoulder tightness like Carson did um this past week. Cool. Well I think uh seven o'clock Wednesday night, if I if I have that time correct, should be a, a lot of fun between the Knolls and the Eagles. I want to say Georgia Southern beat Florida State one year in a regional recently, actually. I feel like I remember within the last five or six years, Georgia Southern beat Florida State in the tally regional. Could be wrong on that. Uh, I don't have it pulled up, but that's just coming out of my memory. Um, but All right, anything else you want to touch on? Yeah, well, I think we were going to do um, some questions Yeah. Um, from listeners, but there was one more thing I wanted to touch on just before – we got through this episode about Florida State um, that I forgot to mention earlier. Um, FSU is doing a really good job holding runners on this year between the pitchers and and catchers. Um, you know, I think Colton's thrown out six of ten runners in in ACC play. Um, and, you know, F- he's been really good with pitches into the dirt too. Um, I mean, FSU only I think they're second to last in the ACC with with wild pitches. I think they only have 12 or 13 so far this year. Um, I mean, a guy like Parker who throws a lot of pitches in the dirt because of how he pitches, he needs to. Uh, I don't think he has any wild pitches this year. Uh, I mean, there's some guy – I mean, yeah, Parker only has – he has zero and and Bryce has one. Um, Overall, I think you're doing a really good job behind the plate, Colton is. And Meat talked a lot about his value behind the plate. I think it was after – Thursday's game it might have been um don't remember exactly um but yeah I think between pitchers and catchers doing a really good job holding guys on um I don't think Bryce has allowed a a still has allowed a stolen base all year um through all his starts um so just wanted to mention that to make sure we got that in this episode because Louisville is a team that usually runs a lot and I think they might have had one stolen base all weekend if not any I don't really remember them running a ton um, I mean, Usher was a guy that came in with 21 stolen bases and 21 attempts. Um, so obviously that team knows how to run the bases. Um, for questions, go over here to my phone real quick. While you search those up, uh, Georgia Southern beat Florida State in 2014 in the Tallahassee Regional 7 to nothing. FSU was the number five national seed. Uh, so it wasn't that recent, about eight years ago, but... I'm proud that my memory goes back eight years to remember that. I think I remember all the heartbreaking losses, the ones that are painful. Still remember Bucknell beating Florida State in 2008. Buster Posey's lineup. The kid came in and threw a complete game shutout. I don't remember his name, but if you hold a team that's averaging as a lineup 340 to no runs, you're really good. Uh, then, by the way, Florida State beat them like 25 to like one in the loser's bracket the next day and ended up averaging 18 runs per game in the tally regional and then went to Omaha. So. Fun times. Yeah. Fun times. But a um, couple questions here. We Well, a few of them are about rankings. I think I already a little ranted about that enough. Um, who goes to midweek starter, Baumeister, Queller, Dunn? Uh, we just hit on that a little bit, but I'll hit on the other guys first. I don't think 
I don't think Wyatt will. I think, you know, they like him as a reliever right now, and um, they like the role he fulfills for them, and they really need him in the bullpen. Ross, I don't think will either because I think they know his value. Um, the rest of the season could come in the bullpen, and just because, um, especially not right now, because like Meat said, they want to go in and, and get some things fixed but th- before throwing him back out there. Um, another question is, what players in the twenty two class could have twenty twenty two class could have a Freer Tibbs level impact next year? Um, I mean, there's definitely a lot of guys. I like that class a lot. Um, trying to pull up all the names here real quick, but um, obviously it, it's hard to know exactly who's going to get here because of the draft. Um, you know, off the top of my head, I mean, the kid that probably would make the biggest impact next year is Cameron Smith, who's a big, big-bodied shortstop. Um, but, you know, he might be a guy that goes in the draft very high. Helium name this year, rising up a lot of boards. Um, you know, even if he is drafted, that just shows you a lot about um, FSU's evaluations. He was not ranked or really on any boards, anyone's anyone's radar last year when he committed to Florida State, I think, in the summer. Um, and now he's probably going to be, you know, a top three-round draft guy. Um, Jordan Taylor is a guy who I think could have a really big impact for Florida State next year, especially in the outfield. I think he'd be a plug-in and play day one in center field. Um, Uber-athletic kid, has all the tools in the book. Um, crazy exit velocities, you know, you know, big velocity from the outfield. Um, I think he runs a 6'2", 60 or something like that. Uh, yeah, 6'2", 160, 97 mile per hour from the outfield, um, and 97 exit velocity. Um, so the tools there are obvious. Um, there's a lot of names in that class. I think DMS Ross could be a kid who, um, you know, isn't super highly rated or anything, but I think he's a kid that is just going to be a really good college hitter, um, works at bats good. Um, Santiago or Donez, I think, could potentially be a catcher of the future. He has a gun behind the plate. And Ben Barrett is a two-way guy who I think can be a really good hitter and a really good pitcher. Uh, from day one, he gets on campus, and he's, I believe he was his, – his – Travel ball coach was the same as as Hubbard's, Montgomery's, and um, uh, Joe Charles, I want to say, as well. Um, so he's a kid that should be familiar with, with a lot of the stuff that goes on in the program. So I think that will be a, a, an easy transition as well. Um, I'm guessing you don't have anything on 22 class, are you? I'm not even sure I'm allowed to okay. talk about it. So we'll just keep moving on. Um, what changed about the approach at the plate versus the GT series – Louisville and GT have similar arms, it seems. Um, I know GT's ERA is really bad, but I actually thought they had some pretty good arms. I mean, Maxwell, obviously, with that velocity. Um, I thought Chance Huff, their Friday starter, was very good. Um, I think more so than anything, this team just fought, like we said. Um, It just felt like the energy they had gave them the ability to string together some at-bats at the plate. And it just, yeah, it's just... Some guys came alive. I mean, Jordan came alive this weekend, and he had been for a little bit, but really put it together this weekend. Um, yeah, I just think it's it's simplifying it and fighting. I think there's there's not much more to it than that. Uh, I don't know if you think there's more to it than that, Arya. I just don't think you should underestimate how having one game the way that it happened against the Gators, the way that inning went, just the impact it can have on an entire lineup. I mean – it's baseball, you know, things happen in the middle of the season. They happen in one at bat, and it triggers a run 
for the rest of the year. And um, to me, it just really felt like, like you said, they simplified it. Guys up there, aggressive early in counts. They're sure of themselves. They're fouling off pitches. I noticed that a lot more was competing on two strike pitches. I thought Reese did that, you know, with the 11 pitch at bat against Florida, worked the walk. I saw it numerous times this weekend where guys got to two strikes and um, were really able to, to fight some pitches the other way. I also think he gave some new guys some opportunities. Like Trayton Rank, I think, was just kind of chomping at the bit to get a chance. And, you know, the kid's pounding his chest after his first single. And I think he's, he's kind of telling himself and that dugout, and maybe he's telling the coaches a little bit like, hey, man, you should have been putting me in a while ago. Like, I can bring something to the table. And, um, and I don't mean that like it's disrespectfully, but it's, it's kind of saying, like, I'm here to play. I'm here to be a baller. I'm here to contribute. And then he goes out and he gets four hits in that game. So seasons yeah. change, man. Like, someone asked me, how did the Braves win the World Series? Well, they went and got three new guys, and it changed everything. Like, I don't know. It's Well, I think, I think a big thing this weekend, too, was it felt like FSU had constant pressure on Louisville. Um, you know, Stephen, Stephen McCartney, McCartney, the SID for Florida State, told me that I think Florida State had a runner on base on every single inning the last two games of the series. Um, that's quite literally the definition of constant pressure. Um, they never let up. They kind of just kept going at them in waves and waves. And when you're getting it from different guys, that's how that happens. I mean, you just, I mean, one through nine, you felt like at any point this weekend that someone could get a hit just because they were working good ABs and they were in good counts and making good swings and right counts. Um, when you're doing things in right counts and, you know, following the right tendencies, I, f- I feel like you're going to have um, a quality offense. You're at least going to make pitchers work, and that's what this team needs to do is just make other teams work. No, 100%. I mean, we've laid bunt downs when, you know, bunts have been laid down when we've needed them. The guys have moved runners across. Uh, there have been productive outs. Guys are taking the extra base, right? Like you put pressure on defense. We're seeing guys make the right reads. From first to second, they tag up. It happened again this weekend a couple times where guys made the right read. And um, you, you also can't, by the way, can we talk about not just offensively? I know this. the question was about the offense, but I'm thinking about the more the environment of the team as a whole. How about Tibbs' throw in game one to gun the runner at the plate? What kind of emotional lift? I don't think that happens two weeks ago, Brett. Like, I don't think this team is making that type of play a couple weeks ago, and I think it's just permeating throughout that entire clubhouse. It's confidence. I think you're just riding a high, and, and the wave is there for you right now. Yeah, I mean, that throw was it was perfect. That thing is right on the money. Um, and that's probably the best throw I've ever seen Tibbs made since he's been here. Um, and I think it was pregame. They were doing I.O., and, and Tibbs threw one that was – it was a good throw, but it was pretty far over this, this, the cutoff man's head, and it took a little while to get there. Meat um, made him do it over again and made him throw it right through the cutoff, and it was that same exact throw he made it made in the game. Um, so it was good to see a quick adjustment like that from a freshman. Um, that just shows that you care. And I thought all weekend they just sh- they showed that that it matters to them how they're playing and how they're doing. I think it was. I think this weekend for them was you know a time to kind of reintroduce themselves to this fan base and kind of say like, you know, we're not that team. We're a better team than that. Um, and we're going to come out and show you against the top 10 team in the country. And all week they looked like they were playing with their heads on fire, and that's all you can ask for, especially when you have a good team coming into town. First, um, uh, first ACC sweep at home, by the way, since 2019 for FSU. Almost three years. Isn't that crazy? And that was Clemson, right? I believe you're right. And I, was, I think 
we brought them up that up last week where it felt like you had that same opportunity this week, weekend to turn your season around um, with a big weekend, and they did kind of that same exact thing. Now you got to see if they can build off of that just like that 2019 team did. Um, I think we have one more question um, as of right now. Um, do you see Carry On and B Rob coming back next year um, to go along with Rank Tibbs and Ferrer? Um, Jordan is a sophomore, but he's sophomore draft eligible. Um, B Rob as well is, is draft eligible. Um, I believe he's technically a redshirt junior, um, but he's in his third year of college, so he's also draft eligible. But um, Jordan, I think, will be back just because he is a sophomore and he'll have those that extra year of um, leverage and everything. And I think Jordan can show even more at the plate. Uh, everyone knows what he is defensively, so someone might take a chance on him and, you know, that glove because it is that special. Um, but as of right now, I, I would think Jordan's back just because, I mean, he's only had one year in Tallahassee and um, only two years in college, and I think he can just get better and better and, you know, put some more weight on that frame and, and um, you know, move up dra dra draft boards even more um, than he has right now. Um, with B-Rob, I don't know. Uh, I think that depends on how the rest of the season plays out. I think anyone that watches B-Rob knows he can hit. Um, the question mark right now is, is the defense. Um, you know, I know he's athletic enough to play second base, and he's got the glove. It's just that arm that worries a lot of people. Um, to me, it, 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 I think he's in his head a lot about the mechanics of it, and rather than just doing it about it, doing it and throwing, it feels like he's thinking and throwing. Um, I could see the potential for B. Rob coming back, but at the same time, I don't think I don't know if MLB teams are going to let him get away. Just how good that bat can be, um, but I don't think it would be the worst idea in the world for B. Rob to come back and make himself a, some extra bucks because um, he can he can hit even better than he is right now. And I think he showed that in the Cape last year. Um, I think if a lot of people saw him in the Cape, then that, that might have been enough for them to, to want to draft him. Cool. A lot of fun on this podcast. They're a lot better when you uh, go 4-0 in a week. So uh, what do you say we do it again later on this week? Yeah, and I'm starving right now. Yeah. I need some food. Um, thank you guys for your questions. If you want to ask us some more, at Sunday Golds. On Twitter, you can DM us, drop a, a question underneath the, the tweet Brett just put out, I think, about asking more questions, or uh, you can DM us directly at BrettPN at Aria Masudi, or email us at sundaygoldspod at gmail.com. We'll try and get to some more of your questions on Thursday. We'll try and bring a, a guest on uh, for the second pod this week, either a, a player or a coach or maybe a member from the media um, to kind of have a, a full show there and We'll preview the Clemson series, which is going to be a big one, I think, for Florida State. It's a place that the Knowles have not played well historically. It's kind of snuck up on us at times, even when we are the better team. So um, we'll talk more about that. Hopefully a, a big win against Georgia Southern that will boost the RPI against uh, an Eagles team that has eight, his number eight in the RPI and 24 wins on the season. So sneaky game there Wednesday night. And uh, until we talk to you again, we're on Apple Pods. We're on Spotify. Please leave us five stars. Please share this with your friends. Please leave us a review, and we will talk to you later on this week. This was Sunday Golds. I'm Aria Masudi, and he's Brett Nevitt.